This morning I want to look at the power of Jesus' ascension. Not only did he die, not only did he rise, but we also find that Jesus ascended to heaven. And what is significant about Jesus' ascension? Have you ever started a project and never quite completed it? I know I've done that many times. There's lots of great ideas, or at least I think they're great ideas, and I begin them, or I start, and I still want to finish, but it never seems like I quite am able to finish, or I go to other projects, and that one uh, gets on the back burner, and then pretty soon it's not even on the burner, and then who knows where it is after that. Beginning a project and never completing it. One of the biggest projects that was begun and is not quite completed yet is in Barcelona, the uh, uh, Sagrada Familia, Familia and, uh, or Familia Sagrada, not sure which one it is. Anyway, it's one of those two. And in 1882, construction began. And it was this enormous uh, cathedral. Not, it's not actually a cathedral technically, but it's enormous church that was being built there in Barcelona. And the architect that began in 1882 actually quit. And another architect took his place, Antoni Gaudi. And he, it really became, he was working on it from 1883 to 1926. It was really the major project of his life. In 1926, he was taking his morning walk, Antoni Gaudi, and as he was taking his morning walk, tragically, he was hit by a train or tram as it was passing by, and he was thrown off to the side. And this amazing architect, who is still respected as one of the greatest architects of that time period, was hit by this train, but because he had poured, he was 70-something when this happened, because he had poured his life into it, his finances and everything, he wasn't dressed very well. And people thought he was a beggar. And they left him there. Until finally somebody brought him in to one of the uh, hospitals and uh, didn't receive very good care because he wasn't going to be able to pay for it anyway, they thought. And it wasn't until a day later that the chaplain at this uh, Familia Sagrada realized that was the architect that was there. But by that time, his poor, and I don't know if he would have been able to live uh, anyway, but uh, the care had been so poor and he hadn't received the treatment that he needed and he ended up passing away. You know, as I read that, that's a lesson to not show partiality to anybody, right? And, uh, but 
He passed away in 1926. It continued. 1936, the Spanish Civil War broke out, and part of it was burned. And in 2010, it was estimated that it was half finished. But it's taken 150 years, and it's still not completed yet. It's estimated that has been spent, oh, something interesting, was a few years ago, the city of Barcelona decided or realized that this enormous cathedral here had never had a building permit taken out for it. <laughs> and so, a hundred and, I believe it was 36 years later, they assessed a building permit of 36 million euros. <laughs> I don't know if, what the, if they would have gotten a permit to begin with, it probably would have been a lot cheaper. <laughs> Almost half a billion dollars has been spent on this cathedral. Still, not completed. Some projects take a long time to complete. And I have a proposition today, and perhaps it might strike you as a little bit odd as I mention it, but I'm going to suggest, and then we're going to look at some verses to show this, but I'm going to suggest that Jesus' work was not completed on the cross. That Jesus' work is still not finished yet. And the work of salvation that Jesus began, and it's hard to say he began on the cross, you could say he began it all the way back when man sinned, but the work of salvation that Jesus began, uh, at least majorly uh, won the battle with, it, 2,000 years ago thereabouts, when Jesus died on the cross, still is not fully completed. Now I want to make it very clear that I am not in any way attempting to demote the importance of Jesus' amazing sacrificial death upon the cross. Jesus gave a perfect, complete sacrifice upon Calvary, and he defeated the devil there. And Jesus' sacrifice and his sacrificial work was completed at Calvary. And you remember when we look at it in John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus said, as he was dying, he said, It is finished. But do you know that's not the only time that Jesus is going to say that? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16, we see that in the future still, another declaration like that will be given. Revelation chapter 16, verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, what does he say? It is done. Jesus' sacrifice was completed on Calvary. He could proclaim, it is finished. 
But here we see, when, this, when we study in Revelation, we're not looking at it. This would be an entire sermon in itself, which we're not looking at. But here in the future, Jesus still says, it is done. Something else is done here. Turn also to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 6. Revelation 21 and verse 6. And notice what Jesus says. I believe it's Jesus that is saying this at least. And notice what he says at the, as the new heaven and the new earth is created. And he said to me, what does he say again? It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. So notice, Jesus, when he died, he said, it is finished. But in the future still, we have a message going forth where Jesus says, it is done. And then when the earth is made new, again he says, and I would suggest this is the last time he says it, it is done or it is finished. And I'm going to suggest, and we're going to look at it, that Jesus died and it defeated the devil. He rose and it declared him to be the Son of God with power. It was proof of his divinity. But that he ascended to complete the work that was begun on the cross. Let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses Oh, we'll read several verses in here. It's describing Jesus' ascension. Acts chapter 1, and we begin in verse 6. Or verse 4, actually. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized <clears throat> with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then notice verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And so here the disciples are gathered together. It is the last time that they are going to be with Jesus. And as this last time as th that they are with Jesus, their question is, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Jesus says in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Then in verse 8 he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And as Jesus was speaking, something amazing happened. Verse 9 now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Can you imagine what it must have been like? For those disciples, those believers gathered there as 
Probably they had climbed the mount, because they come back from the mount, the mount called all of it, it says in verse 12. And so probably they had climbed this mount together with Jesus, who's died and been resurrected now. He has spent, appeared to them at different times, given them in various instruction, assured them of his presence and that he is alive. But the time has come now for Jesus to ascend. And so they've climbed the mountain together. And then as they've climbed this mountain together and Jesus is speaking to them and they say, Lord, are you going to restore your kingdom now? And Jesus says, that's not for you to know or to worry about. We don't need to know when, we just need to be ready, right? And as he's speaking, he begins to rise higher and higher. And they're watching because it says here in verse 9 that they're, they're watching and he's taken up out of their sight as he rises higher and higher and there's a cloud that obscures his, him from their view and they keep gazing, looking up into heaven to get one last glimpse of Jesus, their Lord and their friend. As Jesus is ascending, verse 10 and 11, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. As Jesus is ascending up, and they're looking, they're watching to see him rise higher and higher. The angels come and say, this same Jesus, the one that you know, your friend, the one that died for you, this same Jesus, he's coming again just like you saw him go up. The power of Jesus' ascension. Now, as I mentioned, I am not in any way belittling the cross. It was a full and it was a complete sacrifice. One offering, one sacrifice. Hebrews says he gave this one complete, perfect sacrifice for us. But I want to look at a couple verses that show that there's more than just Jesus' death. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. Then, we're going to then we'll go to Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. And notice what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. That's a fascinating verse. 
If Christ is not risen, what does that mean? If Jesus had not been resurrected, your faith is, what does it say? Futile. And you are still what? Still in your sins. Not only was Jesus' death important, not only was Jesus' death essential, but he had to be raised as well. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Another interesting verse here. These are verses we frequently don't think about. But while they're true, just like the other verses as well. Romans chapter 4, verse 25, speaking of Jesus here, and it says, who was delivered up because of our offenses. Now, what is that talking about? Jesus' death, right? He was delivered up for our sins. He was delivered up because of our offenses, right? But then notice, and was raised because of our, what? Justification. If Christ is not raised, our faith is futile, we're still in our sins. And Jesus was delivered for our offenses. He was delivered, died because of our sins, but yet it says he was raised for our justification. What does this mean? Why did Jesus need to be raised for our justification? There's power in his death, there's power in his resurrection, and I'm going to suggest there's power in his ascension as well. It's the complete package that we need. Yes, we need Jesus' death, but we need his resurrection and we need his ascension. And why do we need his ascension? Let's look at a couple of verses here. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 8, verses 1 and 2. Why do we need not only Jesus' death, but also his resurrection and ascension? Hebrews 8, verses 1 and 2. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Here we find that when Jesus ascended, by the way, many times we have a vague idea of what Jesus is doing. Because we have a vague idea of what heaven is like. Have you ever seen those pictures, those cartoons, whatever, where people go to heaven and what are they doing? They're laying on a cloud, reclining there on a cloud, and maybe one has a harp, and they're just kind of floating up there on a cloud. Do you want to do that for a billion years? <laughs> Just float up there on a cloud? I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, it sounds kind of nice to rest on a cloud for a little bit, but I think it might get a little bit old, too. And uh, 
Because we have this idea of heaven just being this cloud land and people just uh, are going to go there and just going to lay on these clouds, we have a vague idea of what Jesus is doing. So what is Jesus doing? Is he just resting on a cloud as well? That's not what the Bible says. There's a very important work that Jesus continues to do. He hasn't forgotten about us. He's not just taking a vacation. It re we read right here, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, and he is a minister, he is serving, working in a sanctuary that God erected and not man. Now what is his service? What is his ministration there? Hebrews 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. What does that mean? It means he can save me and he can save you, right? <laughs> it means he can save anyone in whatever situation, whatever circumstance they're in. Jesus can save to the uttermost. The person that's passed out on the street corner, can Jesus save them? Absolutely. The person that is in the maximum security prison because of horrific crimes, can Jesus save them? Absolutely. The person that's seem like they've been a good person all their lives, but has all sorts of skeletons in their closets. Can Jesus save them? <laughs> Absolutely. Jesus can save to the uttermost. Praise God. Because we can talk to anyone and we can be assured that Jesus has the power to save them. But not only does he have the power to save them, has the power to save us too. He can take a slave trader like John Newton and make him a hymn writer to sing Amazing Grace. He can take anyone, no matter where we are, and save to the uttermost. But it's interesting, it says he can save to the uttermost because he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is alive and he always lives and he's always there to make intercession for each of us. 
And he can save to the uttermost because he is interceding for us. What does it mean that Jesus is interceding? I think of a story when I think of Jesus' intercession. I told yesterday a story about Abraham Lincoln. This, that story took place just a week before he died. But while he was in the White House, and you can imagine there weren't, at that point in time, there's not the fence all the way around the White House like there is today, and you could walk up, and there, were some, there was some security, though, especially since a war was going on. And there was a man that came, and he had a request, and I believe his request was for his son to be pardoned, who had committed some, uh, had, I think he'd been sleeping in guard duty or something like that. And uh, he brings this letter of his son to the president, and as he brings it here, he comes up to the White House, and he says, I need to see the president. And the guard says, do you have an appointment? And he says, it's, in, it's essential, I have to see the president today. And the guard says, do you have an appointment? He says, no, but I need to see him today. He says, I'm sorry, I can't let you in if you don't have an appointment. And so the story goes that this man is just heartbroken. He can't get in, but it's his son's only hope of being saved. And so he just goes off in the side of the lawn, and he's crying there underneath that tree. And as he's crying there, a little boy comes up to him and says, Mr., what's the matter? And so he just he blubbers out the whole story here and says, I need to see the president. It's the only way that my son can be saved. The little boy says, Come on, mister. He says, what are you going to do? The guard said I couldn't see him. Come on, mister. And he comes and he comes there and he comes up to the guard and he says, this man needs to see the president. And the guard says, he doesn't have an appointment. I can't let him in. This little boy starts calling, dad, dad. Pretty soon the window opens. Yes, Tad, what do you want? This man needs to see you, Dad. Okay, bring him in. <laughs> There's times when you need an intercessor, don't you? <laughs> and the Bible says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. He died to save us. He was resurrected to prove that he's the Son of God, that he is divine, and that we can live through him. But he is ascended and is ministering in a sanctuary in heaven to make intercession for us right now, today. Have you ever wanted to go to the store and you got there two minutes too late? They closed. One time I was late for an airplane uh, and, well, the, it wasn't just any, I wasn't just being late because I was negligent. There was a storm and 
the trees had fallen down over our driveway and there were electric wires all over and I had to walk out and get a ride from somebody else and it was a mess everywhere. The lights weren't working and all of this. And uh, I get, finally get to the airport and get there late and I get up to the gate. And guess what? The door was closed. I said, she said, I said, what can we do? And all of a sudden, there was a maintenance man that opened the door. And she said, he just opened the door. Run in. <laughs> Sometimes we can be just a little bit too late. The Lord worked that one out so that even though I was too late, a maintenance man was needed to get in. And the, the gates agents, they don't open the door for you. But if somebody else does, they'll let you in. Jesus ever lives, ever lives, to make intercession for you. Are there ever times when you felt like no one understood in this world? Are there times when you felt like you just needed someone to help? You've got someone. He's ever living. He's in making intercession for us in heaven. And when we look in the book of Revelation, Revelation is picturing Jesus as a priest, as a high priest, there throughout the book of Revelation, ministering for us as well. From the lampstands there in the chapter 1 to before the golden altar in Revelation chapter 8 to before the throne, the Ark of the Covenant there in Revelation chapter 11. Jesus is ministering in a heavenly sanctuary for us. It's not just, the gospel message is not just a message that he died and that he rose again. That's true and that's vital and that's powerful. But Jesus died and he rose again and he's ministering for you right now in heaven for us. Aren't you thankful for that? The power of his ascension. The power of his death is what makes salvation for us possible. The power of his resurrection makes life possible. And the power of his ascension makes, and his ministry that's going on for us, makes it possible for us to be victors and conquerors through him today in our lives. Hebrews chapter 4 says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace because we have such a high priest that's ministering for us there. Don't you want to come there boldly? <laughs> to come boldly to the throne of grace ministering for us there. We can come boldly. We need to understand his ministry for us. We're not unpacking his ministry today. We have resources that can help you with that. We have special Bible studies. We have a card out there that you can fill out. You can go to our website online and request these Bible studies. But so many people today only get half of the plan. He died, yes, but he rose. And... 
He ascended to minister for us. And just like that Familia Sagrada church there in Barcelona, Spain, it's taking that church a long time. They are hoping now that by 2026, a hundred years after the main architect died, that they will be completed. But it's taken almost 150 years. Jesus' work for us has taken thousands of years. But it doesn't matter how long it takes. He's going to complete it. <laughs> He's going to finish it. His salvation will be assured. Not His salvation. His salvation, His work for us. And not only did He ascend to minister there, but the Bible makes it clear, just like the angels promised, that not just did he ascend, but you remember as the disciples were there gazing up into heaven, you remember what the angels said to them. Why are you gazing up into heaven? Seemed pretty obvious why they were, right? They wanted to get one last glimpse of Jesus. Why are you gazing up into heaven? And then they tell him, that the angels tell the disciples, that they've got a work to do, and then they say, but that same Jesus, who you saw go up into heaven, what is he going to do? <laughs> He's going to come again. Not only did he die, not only did he, was he resurrected, not only did he ascend and is he ministering for us, but he will come again as well. And this is the great hope for us. The promise of his death, resurrection, ascension, and his return. Why don't we look at one last verse. Romans chapter 8. And this really encapsulates the thought of his ascension and ministry for us there. Romans chapter 8. Verses 31 and onward. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Don't you like that? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us? All things. Who shall bring a charge against a God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen. Who is also at the right hand of God. Who also makes intercession for us. And then he continues, or, uh, continues going in verse 35. Who shall separate us? from the love of Christ. Nothing can. Why? Because he says he died. 
He rose. And he is making intercession for us. We serve a crucified Savior, a risen Lord, an interceding high priest for us, and a coming king as well. And he wants to come for each of us. His, our names are written on his hands. You know, when we have a scar, generally we don't like that ugly scar, whatever it might be from. Jesus has some ugly scars, if you will. But those scars are precious to him. Why are those scars precious? Because it's not a remembrance of his pain. It's a remembrance of you and of me. Our names are written there. And as our names are written there, he pleads our names before our Father in heaven. And he wants us to know him. We read yesterday, this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. He wants us to know him, know him as our Savior, know him as our Lord, know him as our high priest, and know him as our coming king. He wants us to know him more each and every single day. Do you want to know him more today? You want to know him more in these various roles that he performs for us. To know what that means for us. We have to spend time with him to get to know him. We have to spend time in his word. And as I mentioned, we have resources to help continue getting to know him. But individually, we have to make that decision and that choice. I want to know you more today and tomorrow and the next day. Because he's our crucified Savior, our risen Lord, our interceding high priest, and our coming king. And soon, the sky is going to be ablaze with his glory as he comes for you and for me. May we be ready, may we know him now that we can know him then. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we are thankful. Thankful for Jesus. Thank you that he is our risen, interceding Lord that you are coming again for us. And Lord, we pray that we will not be distracted by the things of this world, but that the object of our lives will be to know you and to know you more. We're so thankful that we serve a risen Savior. We're so thankful for the power of your death, your resurrection, and your ascension. But Lord, we pray 
that we may know that power individually in our lives. I pray that you'll bless each one gathered here today. You'll bless each one online as we commit to you, to know you, to spend more time with you, that we may be ready for your coming. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.